So that Uncle Thomas, he, um, whenever he'd give me that, oh. If you have a, a middle schooler and you're visiting, you can just head right out with the middle school. Kobe Matsukato, one of our middle school workers, is going to be uh, with them today. It's going to be awesome. So today's a special day. This is going to be a lot of fun. So before I bring the panel up, um, I want to uh, give some ground rules to how this is going to run today. For those of you visiting, we just came out of a, a six-week series on what's called the God Questions. These are the six most asked questions uh, about God from church people and unchurched people, from Christians and non-Christians. And so a lot of times believers have these questions roll around in their minds that are, are, that are unresolved, or they have friends who ask them with these questions and they don't have a good articulate answer. And a lot of times you can lead people to Christ just by answering their good questions with good answers. So uh, we've had some come in on three by five cards, but we're going to start with uh, uh, live questions, which is why we need some ground rules. And, um, and so the areas that we've covered that six uh, messages was, is God real? Is the Bible true? Um, do all roads really lead to heaven? If God is good, why does he allow suffering? Uh, and what will heaven be like? Les taught a great message last week on what happens when I die. Today, we are going to, I think I missed one. Okay, which one did I miss? See, if you say I did, then you need to have the answer. Yeah, I did that. And uh, so today is going to be simply a live Q&A on these topics. And so here are the ground rules, all right? Evolution versus creation. How can we forget that one? So um, I've got to get the right document open here. Good thing I'm not answering these questions today, huh? But I can facilitate. Okay, so number one, please ask sincere questions. Uh, this isn't stump the panel day, okay? We do this with Mark Myers. When he comes to our home, he'll be one of the panelists today because uh, he just knows too much about everything. And so we sit around the dinner table, my kids, we play the uh, stump Mark Myers uh, uh, game, and we ask him any trivial thing about any time of history and any subject matter and see if we can stump them. We're not doing that today. This is to help you uh, with answers that you really are concerned about. We discourage any personal questions like, do you really think I should marry Joe? So we're not going to do that live. All right, the panelists will be available afterwards if you'd like to ask pastoral questions. We want to keep your questions to the Bible, God, and Christianity. You got to keep your questions less than 30 seconds or the uh, gentlemen, Gary and Francisco, who will have the live mics on either side of the con congregation, if you go more than 30 seconds, they will turn the mic off and the ushers will lead you outside. Uh, and then it's uh, also probably worth mentioning that there are a lot of different opinions and interpretations on a lot of these questions. And uh, in some churches, you have to absolutely agree 100% with their doctrinal stances, what doctrine means, their teachings. We are not one of those churches. Even on our senior leadership team, we have different views on the scriptures. My wife and I have different views on the scriptures. But none of them are on the majors. They're on the minors. They're not on the core values of Christianity. They're on the, the more uh, questionable peripheral things. Like, uh, for example, um, 
Are you a, I had one guy ask me one time, are you a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Just, just give you an example of how we stay on the main road. Pre-trib is a doctrine that says that the church is going to be taken out of here before Jesus returns in the seven years of hell on earth called the tribulation. And they have scriptures to support that view. The mid-trib is we're going to be here for three and a half years and then in, in the midst of hell. Then Jesus comes back and takes us out in the middle of it and uh, we, we miss the last three and a half years. The post-trib believers, and they have scriptures to support that, post-trib say that we're going to be here for the entire seven years, then Jesus comes back, and those who endure will be saved, and they have scriptures to support that. So I had one person ask me one time, are you a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? And I just ignored him, because for me, it's an irrelevant question for me personally. And he wouldn't leave me alone. And he finally said, I can tell you're a pre-tribber. I'm like, how can you just look at somebody and tell whether they're a pre-tribber or not? That's just silly. And I said... You know, I really don't care. And he looked at me, kind of shocked, and I said, what I believe is that he's coming back, and I'm ready. Are you? You see, that, that's the only thing that matters is the fact he's coming back. Even Jesus said he didn't know when the Father was going to say, go get him, boy, right? Okay, so uh, with no further ado, I'm going to introduce our panelists. So first we have Mark Myers. Mark, will you come on up here, over here? Uh, for credibility's sake, Mark has a master's degree in English literature from Cambridge University, a master's degree in theology from Yale Divinity School, and a uh, law degree from Stanford Law School, you little show off. So this is Mark Myers. And we have Les Meredith. Les Meredith has a bachelor's in a law degree from Indiana State University. And uh, Les um, is one of the most biblically stuttered, studied men, not stuttered, studied men that I, I know when I ask Les a question as we've been going through this with the panel, uh, we've been studying out some of these questions so that we're informed for you to serve you well. Um, Les's answers have just been uh, profound. He's, he's very meticulous and he knows the Word of God very well. And then we didn't have anybody else so we chose Mark Coppersmith. Who happens to be uh, a pastor on staff here and one of our one of the best teachers we have? He has a a law degree, a pre-law degree, of course, and a pre-med degree, including microbiology, genetics, organic chemistry, advanced math, economic psychology, and political science. He also um, has started and is the primary teacher of a seminary in Guadalajara, where there's a revival taking place, and he is going down there. A lot more than he ever anticipated in his sunset years. God is using him like a rag. And he loves it. It's awesome. And uh, he's training up the next generation uh, in that region of Mexico to lead the church on. So we're going to pray and uh, we're going to go live. Okay? Jesus, thank you so much for the Bereans that are here today. Those, the Bible says, they, those in Berea, when Paul would teach them, they would search the scriptures to see if what he said was accurate. We thank you for a church that is not afraid to ask questions because we really want to know, God, who you are, who Jesus is, and what the Bible actually teaches. I thank you for the seekers here today who aren't sure about Christianity, and they want to ask some really good questions against good answers. We're going to do our best. I thank you, Lord, for those here today who think they know it all, and uh, that by God's grace, Lord, you are going to even teach them today because we are coming humbly like children, 
to hear God's voice and the voice of the panel, even in the voice of those asking questions. And God, we want to leave here today better equipped to not be arrogant or to have gotchas when we talk to people who don't know you, but to have good answers to really good questions. So through these answers, you can draw more people to yourself, Jesus. We really want to be used by you to expand your kingdom. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Let the wisdom of God flow in this place today. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. So, yes. <laughs> Look, I know that I just got my first senior citizen's discount in the movie theater the other day, but I think I'm all right without back support. All right. That's just, that's just cold-hearted for a 20-something to come. Give me a chair because it has back support. I know it was out of love, but I'm really annoyed right now. I can can bench more than you. All right. I'll see you on the volleyball court tomorrow. So uh, we need uh, our mic men. Let's let's give Javier and uh, Gary a standing ovation for their. Thank you. And we need our first questionnaire. So who's going to stand and kick this thing off? Going once. Anyone? Going twice. Here we oh, go. All one. the way in the back. I got one. I got one. Ariane Pardubsky is going to kick off our okay, Q&A. Okay. I got one. First of all, you have a speaker, a drum, and some mics. Can you guess the price of those? No, never mind. No. <laughs> Right, the price is right. Okay, so what would you say to a believer, one that's been raised charismatic and Pentecostal, so not one that hasn't been exposed to the spirit and miracles and all that, that is getting frustrated and discouraged at praying for healing, not for themselves, but for others, especially those that are not believers, because we keep telling them we're praying for you, and we just so desperately want God to get the glory and have a testimony in their life. So, what would you say to? You know, who will remain unnamed? I'm asking for a friend. Um, You know, just that's getting discouraged and doubtful. That's a great question. And what I love about our church is we are what we would call a bridge church. Uh, Mark in particular and Les were both evangelicals who who, uh, crossed the bridge into the charismatic vein. I'm not sure. Were you raised with a charismatic bent or were you evangelical and then brought into the miracles later on? You were raised charismatic. So these guys cross the bridge, and they're both used uh, widely uh, in our city and uh, abroad on helping um, cessationists, which are those who have been taught that the miracles have ceased. That's what cessation means. Helping them uh, learn the scriptures and uh, have their own encounter with the supernatural. And so we like walking across that bridge. So, Mark, you want to Yeah, I'll start with that. Um, I just want to make a slight correction to... John's introduction. I didn't start that uh, institute in Mexico, uh, and I'm not the driving force behind it, but I am privileged to be a part of it. So uh, that's just a little correction. Well, that's not the story you told me, but go ahead. (laughs) It was all about you. When we talked, it was all about you, and so I thought... Ouch. Well, this this is a random moment of humility. I'm sure it will pass. So just ignore what I just said. Uh, I think uh, to answer that question, um, we're in the praying 
business and God is in the healing business. And we don't heal anybody. The spirit of God living within us manifests the gift of healing through us when he chooses. So our faithfulness is expressed in our willingness to pray and our, and our obedience to pray. And the results are God's problem. And what this does for me is it takes the burden of success off. It's not up to me to make something happen. I cooperate in something happening. And faithfulness, you know, we, we, um, we, we understand that the gifts are in proportion to our faith. And so we feel sometimes an obligation to generate faith. But yet, Corinthians tells us that faith is a gift. It's something we receive from him. So we're not even in the creating faith business. But if you define faith as obedience, faithfulness, then faith for healing is expressed in our continual prayer for healing. We're faithful when we continue to pray. So I would say in answer to that, I say we go on praying until the person is healed or until the person dies. We go on praying because that's our faithfulness to God's command, to the commands of Jesus. And I think when we do that, we can rest in the goodness and the wisdom of him as to what the result of that prayer is. Ariane, did you feel like your question got answered? Okay, Les? Yeah, one of the best pieces of advice that I got when I started praying for the sick was uh, through Mark and Ken Blue, who worked, worked with John Wimber, that you need to decide that you're going to pray for 200 people. And no matter what you see happen, you'll continue to get all the way through 200 and by the time you do that, you'll probably see 10, 15, 20, 25 people healed. And I, so I think the perseverance in the prayer is really the key. Uh, and, and realizing not to get discouraged because you're just opening the door for the Holy Spirit to heal. You're not conveying any kind of power yourself that's going to heal. Now, saying that, also, it's a very disappointing ministry sometimes when you do see a, a great miracle for someone. And I have seen... Uh, arms that were prepared for surgery suddenly reconnect and be healed. I, I've seen people twice in the hospital with severe infections for over a month ready for amputation of their leg. And when we prayed for them, literally the next day they got out of the hospital with their leg. So w we've seen a lot of interesting uh, things that you could only say are miracles. People with cancer, we've had three people we've seen with cancer uh, one lady the night before she went in to have it removed, and when they went in, it was gone. But it, I've also had two people who had cancer that we've prayed for and just thought God was really in it, and they didn't get healed. So it, it can really lead you to be disappointed, and sometimes people get angry with God through the healing ministry. It's like, why didn't you save that little girl? She was so precious, and it'll ruin them. They just can't have faith anymore. You so you have to set that goal. I'm going to pray for 200 because God told me to. And in the Bible, in Mark 16, God says that these signs will follow those who believe. They'll lay their hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. That's for all of us. His commission to go as God sent him, now I send you, means that we all have a commission to pray for healing. There will be people who get a gift from God where the Holy Spirit just seems like an anointing. And, and their healing may be at a much higher level. So 
you're going to see sometimes a disparity that some people are getting healings 20, 30% of the time they pray, and yours just seems to be 10%. It may indicate that your gift, your gifting is more in prophecy or something else, but you don't give up. So just you. never give up. Be the hands of God. So did that, did they cover the bases? Here we go. Okay. And I also want to say, I forgot the ground rules for the panelists. You guys are doing great, but 30 seconds for the question, three minutes for the answer. Uh, so we can get a variety of questions answered today. Marianne? Okay. Um, the only thing that maybe if you guys, maybe Mark um, Meyer could touch on this, um, is that in my case, it wasn't that I've been like laying hands on and praying for this person. It's that a large group of us have all been praying from a distance. And because she's a non-believer, it's just becoming so heartbreaking, you know, to not see God do a breakthrough. And instead, she's getting sicker and sicker every day. And it's so hard for us as believers to keep telling her, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, and and just have her come back at us with more and more bad reports. You know what I mean? So, so, it's not necessarily, what, would your so what would your question be about all that? Yeah, it's not necessarily that I'm discouraged that I'm not reaping the harvest. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'm not worried about having a healing ministry. It's that question of when you're getting discouraged, like why isn't God healing this person when it would seem so on the surface he would get all the glory, she would get saved, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? So it's more about... The question is why, but like, what do you do when you're doing when you're going through the why? Because I know sometimes you can't ask why questions. So, what do you do when you're going through the why to make sure you don't go down that vortex of giving up on praying? Well, for me, the why question is the one that derails people. They want God to explain everything that He does or doesn't do, and that doesn't happen usually. You have to have a, kind of a mystery box right. where, when something doesn't happen the way you feel it should happen. You say, Lord, I trust you. I know that you're good, and I love you, and I know you love this person. I'm not seeing what I want, but I, and I don't know why. I'm going to put that in my mystery box. Yeah. And when I see you face to face, this will be another one of the questions that I ask you. But I'm not going to give up because you told me to persevere. Yeah, and that's, and that's another kind of faith all by itself, is that you believe even when it doesn't make sense, like Job, right? Where his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? And he said, even if God were to kill me, I'll still praise him. And God really liked that. Amen. So, next question. Oh, I'm sorry, Mark. Okay. Well, I was going to save you for all the hard ones, no. but go ahead. I would, um, I'm just going to, uh, I, I remember when, when I think about prayers that don't get answered, I remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane who prayed to his father that if it's possible, let this cup cup of suffering be taken from me but not my will but yours be done it was he he did not get what he the, the main thing he was asking for which is to not have to go to the cross and die in agony um, but he did get something good he got the will of the father and he also uh, got an angel that came and strengthened him so I take from that that when we pray we don't always get what we think we should get. It's always subject to the sovereignty of God, but we will get something good. We can, we can count on that. And my own experience is whenever I pray, it's always better than when I don't pray. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, next question. Here we go, in the back. Oh, okay. Don't touch the mic. Don't touch the mic. All right, we're good. <laughs> So we, we talked about theological, cosmological, moral arguments when we talked about the existence of God. That doesn't actually talk to the Christian 
existence of God. It talks to the big idea of the existence of God. So when you're talking about another faith group, Hindu, Wiccan, whatever, how do you convince them that your idea of God is right and their idea of God is wrong? And then if you could, could you walk the dog on the ontological argument? I, just, I still struggle with that one. Thank you. That's a very good question. Mark? Or Mark? <laughs> the 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 first thing I I would do is not necessarily try to argue with them or convince them, but pray about what you should do. Not everyone responds to to reasoning or arguments. In fact, I think most people don't. Mainly, people who are already ready respond to those arguments um, or those explanations or whatever. So those those are the main those are mainly the people who respond to them. Other people respond to other things like just love or God's miraculous revelation of himself. Mm -hmm. So praying for people as you're talking to them is, is great. Answering their questions, asking them questions about what they believe led by your, and you're led by the Lord as you do that. Um, and answering their questions is, is a great way to proceed. Um, often I've seen what happens is people without me doing anything, people just sort of lead them, find their own way to, to the answer without, without me arguing them into it or something like that. So, I did a lot of research when I was trying to find God on the various religions, and I think the piece we had it during this series that identified the different things that each religion believes can help you understand where you have commonality uh, with the other religion. Hmm. Uh, so if you're speaking with a Hindu and they believe in, you know, hundreds and if not thousands of gods and they have a personal household god, uh, you introduce, uh, you know, this is the one true god to which all others must bow and serve and his name is Jesus. And we know the name of the father that created all things is not, you know, is, is God. And, yeah, I mean, you, you try to find a touch point, but you don't try to tear down their religion. You try to find... You know, we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus loves everybody. And Jesus is a personal God that you can get to know. And he wants to heal you. Would you let me pray for your healing? Or, you know, you ask for a prophetic word. And you try to bring a prophetic word that God sometimes talked to. So you're trying to show and demonstrate that God is real. Your God is real. And your God loves and your God saves. And all others must bow. But you do it in a loving way, a demonstration way rather than trying to debate them because a debate is never really good. Most people don't have enough background in their religion, their cultural, uh, or they only know a few things, and, and they aren't going to be able to debate. So I, th I think that's usually very, very limited productivity. So what, ab what about the fear of finding common ground with somebody else's religion so that you can have a place to begin a good discussion on uh, making you feel like you are affirming their religion by finding that common ground? Well, like for, I love to talk to Mormons and to Jehovah Witness because they're so affirmative in their faith to go out on missions and go house to house and stand on street corners and try to talk to people. And they believe in a Jesus. They, they just don't completely believe in Jesus as the son, the one son of God whose salvation is only through. They've modified it a bit. So you can start with that. Hey, I really appreciate how you guys go door to door and try to introduce uh, the Lord to people. You know, I have found in my faith 
that Jesus is this and this and this, and I have a good relationship with them. And you just start talking about their relationship to Jesus. They believe in him, so ask them what they believe. And, and just be kind to them. And, 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 and ask God again, is there any opportunity here, Lord, for me to heal, to testify, to bring a prophetic word, something that's a demonstration of your belief of who Jesus is. So you're showing respect and honor. Yeah. I think that we get caught up in religion and um, we don't have a religion as Christians. We have a relationship. And I had a guy I was rooming with in university years and years ago. I hadn't seen him for 30 years. And we agreed to get together. And I said to the Lord, he hasn't known me since I've become true, you know, committed about my faith. He, he doesn't know who I am now. And I don't know how to uh, talk to him about my faith. And the Lord said, well, I want you to talk to him the same way you talk to all your Christian friends about me, your brothers and sisters. He said, just share your relationship with me, with him. And I thought, this is really going to be interesting. So he came down and we were going for a walk the first day he was there walking through the neighborhood. And I said, Andy, um, you know, the Lord told me the most interesting thing this morning. And he turned and looked at me and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, God, you know, I have this relationship with God. And he was telling me something this morning. It was really interesting. And it was as if I had grown a second or third head. And he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, what did he say? And I told him about my conversation with the Lord. And he said, that's really cool. And as the, the four days unfolded, I had moments with the Lord, which I shared with him. And I've been doing that ever since for the last six or seven years. And last year he said to me, um, I respect your religion because it's real. Wow, look at that. So I think if we just focus on what we have with the Lord, like Les was saying, our relationship with him, and we're natural and, and easygoing with that, and we just share our relationship with Jesus, they will see something that is both real and desirable. And that, that reduces the religious argument and turns it into a relational Discussion. So did your question, you got a two-part question. Were they, was the second part answered? Ontological. Yeah, explain exactly what you want to know. Yeah. Uh, the ontological, cosmological, and teleological arguments, in my experience, are unconvincing to people who don't want to believe. You have to, if people don't want to believe, they will not believe. So you got to explain all three terms very quickly. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's too complicated. Those are three classical arguments for the existence of God. But um, my experience is people will only believe those if, they're, if they want to believe already. If people are disinclined to believe, they don't, they don't want to believe, they won't believe. Um, belief and faith are not intellectual problems they're spiritual problems that's really and people good. don't disbelieve in god and people don't reject god because they're not intellectually convinced it's because of heart problems wow we have one last let, let me give you one example we had a friend whose son was similar age to our son and they were jewish russians and uh he was a highly intelligent person with many businesses, kind of a self-confident man. 
and uh, one day he just asked me about, you know, my church because I always would bring it up just casually. Oh, yeah, I did that at church or I've got a minister on Saturday. Uh, and so he asked me a question and I gave him an overview that I pray for a lot of sick people for them to be healed. And he said, well, how does that work? He says, I have this friend that's a scientist and he hasn't slept in eight or nine years. Uh, and he says he's prayed, although I'm not sure he's really a Christian uh, why can't he sleep? And I said, well, I don't, you know, I don't know all the facts, but would you like to see how I would pray for him uh, as a believer in Christ? And he said, okay. So I, I stood there outside my garage and I prayed with him for his friend to be healed. So he comes by the next day and he says, a very strange thing has happened. And I said, what's that? He says, well, I called my friend just since we were talking about him to see how he was doing and he still can't sleep. But he called me this morning and said that uh, it's the first night in over 10 years that he has slept through the night. And he says, I want to know how that works. <laughs> so fast forward six or eight months, we had more conversations, but then his son got cancer. And so they called Donna and I over to pray for him. And so when we went, we first time we went because we knew they were Russian Jews and we don't want to try to just, you know, split them, one Christian and, you know, mom and dad remain Jews, we, we prayed from the Psalms first, Abraham, you know, and Isaac and Jacob, something he knew. We prayed healing prayers from the Psalms over his son. Uh, and then we told them we felt that Jesus was the Messiah and that he is the true healer so that we would be praying in Jesus' name. And then so then we prayed in Jesus' name. And we went over there two or three times with them, each time introducing a little bit more about Jesus. So that's how I addressed with a Jewish believer. So you're breaking through, um, you're breaking through the arguments with reality. Yeah, with experience. Mark? Could, could I just add one more thing? Um, I don't want to discourage anybody from studying those philosoph uh, philosophical arguments. They are great to study, and it's great to investigate those intellectually. My ex in my experience, they're mainly useful for people who are already believers. Um, it, sh it shows me that my faith is reasonable. My faith I, isn't just blind faith, but it's reasonable faith. Would you also say for believers, like let's say when, uh, when our kids go to college and they get pummeled with um, evolutionary uh, teachings and it really challenges their belief system and they're confused, would it be wise for believers to have um, good information to help balance the scales? So you're asking, is it good for people to have information and not be ignorant? <laughs> yes. I am being. I just want to. I just want to. <laughs> yes. I just want to state the obvious that Learn I am. And I'm trying to be a very gracious. <laughs> moderator. Learn and study. I'm. We're we're not anti-intellectual. It's just that intellectual pursuits don't necessarily supply the answers all, all right, the time. Very good. All right, we're not going to call on you anymore. Okay, so <laughs> Gary, we got we got a live one over on your side right here. We got Phil Williams, his arms about he's flapping it so hard he's going to start elevating. A little shallower here, but um, how do you explain uh, the Bible's timeline compared to the world? The Bible's what? Timeline. Timeline. Uh, oh, it's so another one. You're talking about creation evolution. Okay, you're talking about how long uh, science says the earth has been here and what the Bible says about that. And, okay, great. Who'd like to field that one? 
and pan panelists, and panelists, I'm going to ask you guys try to try to uh, be succinct with your answers so we can get more questions. We're already at 20, uh, 18 after. Well, the difficulties are could something this complex actually have been laid out in six days and then a day of rest. And we're trying to explain something supernatural in scientific terms. The Bible itself is both a spiritual truth but also a literary book. So sometimes you have people summarizing what has happened rather than giving you a play-by-play. -play. Obviously, Adam didn't know how to write, and he wasn't even on the earth for the first couple days. So we know that we have a story of creation that was written down at another point in time where someone relied on some verbal, verbal translation and stories handed down, and we believe it was Moses that ultimately wrote down the story of creation as it had been passed to him. Those who try to summarize uh, the creation story to fit it to six days uh, typically take a couple different approaches. The first is that Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are somewhat contradictory. Genesis 1 focuses on the creation of earth from the, the Lord's perspective, a priestly perspective of our God. Genesis 2 starts to look at things uh, from the earthly perspective, from man's perspective of how these things came into being. doesn't make them a contradiction because it's two different points of view for the same thing. Uh, so we have to realize that when we talk about things that we think are contradictory, Contradictory means you can't make them work in any way. So sometimes one person had a viewpoint looking left and another person has a viewpoint looking right and they have different theories on what happened in a particular moment because their viewpoint was different. And, the, and their own internal thought process is different. So you get different views on the same event. That doesn't make them contradictory. But some of the contradictions that people try to bring up is this couldn't have just been done in six days. Well, the word yom is the, is the Jewish word for day. Uh, as it's interpreted in the Genesis uh, creation theory. But Yom, because the Jewish alphabet has got so few characters, is used for at least five other words, in including year or, or time frame, uh, generation, uh, and it can mean thousand years. So it doesn't necessarily have to be used in one day. Another way people try to explain it is that the viewpoint that we were, were taught probably in elementary school is if two twin brothers were astronauts and one stayed on the earth and the other left the earth and at the speed of light, he could be gone five years and when he gets back, his brother on the earth, it's going to be 30 years older than he is and he's not going to have aged because he was traveling into space at the speed of light. He was outside of time. So if God created in the Big Bang and his perspective of six days is going to be different than six days on the earth because the earth is fleeing from God at the speed of light. So anyone that's on the earth is going to have a different perception of time than God. So it's possible that from God's perspective, yes, it was just six, six days in heavenly time, but it would have been thousands of years of earthly time. Okay, so I'm going to ask one of the other marks if they'd like to chip in on that. Well, I think... You know, the Bible's not a science text. <laughs> no, we've been so... Um, we, we're, we've, we've been raised under science, and so we read things in terms of science. We take the perspective of, well, this is speaking of facts, so therefore these have to be scientific facts, and therefore they're subject to these rules. But... It's not a science text. 
we always go wrong when we try to make the Bible serve a purpose it wasn't written for. Here's, here's my view of the Bible. It is the truth about the nature of God. It is the truth about the nature of man. It is the truth about the problem that the nature of God and the nature of man have. One is perfect, the other isn't. This is the sin issue. And it's truth about the, the uh, solution to the sin issue. On all the points that matter to human beings, the Bible is more than adequate to provide all the truth we need. But God never intended it as um, a science text. And I'll tell you something else. He didn't intend it as a book of systematic theology either. So we should treat it more pastorally than we do um, theologically. That's how it was written. That's what it was written for principally. Mark, that's it. Great. There's, there's also an order that's very interesting. If any one of the day's order for light, then plants, etc., had been switched, we wouldn't have life on earth. So think about that as someone 4,000 years ago would understand the order of creation enough to put it in perfect order or life wouldn't have existed. That's good. All right, next we one. Have, we have one over here, John. Uh, yes. Yes, it's in regards to the goodness of God throughout the entire Bible. Because um, when you look at the Old Testament and you see how God would have Israel destroy nations, you know, and I mean, those nations had, you know, women, children, all that kind of stuff. And he would destroy nations because Israel was his chosen people and he was his plan there. So my question is just like, what, what? Where was his goodness in that time period? What was, what was his plan in contrast to his New, New Testament where he's more, you know, individual and he's loved, not wanting anyone to perish and, and that. Can you, can you explain that? So it's kind of like uh, the God of war versus the God of peace. Yeah. All right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, we do have an old covenant and a new covenant. And much of the Bible is understood from a purpose of relationship that God promised certain things to Israel. He wanted them to be a nation of kings and priests to show the world who God was. These other nations, even as early as uh, in Genesis, when, when the Israelites were taken into slavery, God said, you're going to be there for 420 years in slavery until the, Am the Amorites, evil has fully manifested, and then you'll be released. So he knew in advance that there were certain nations Nations, if you if you read the the Bible, they're they're worshiping uh, a different God. They're sacrificing children. They're burning children in fires. They're doing all sorts of evil things, which we now know were were uh, giving their pledge to demons and things. So God allowed those people groups who were worshiping the demons that were coming against Israel to uh, to be wiped out. He protected Israel. If you ever see a special on PBS about the amazing wars of Israel, you'll see that even in modern times, the Seven-Day War and other wars, people who choose to fight Israel very often lose in some of the weirdest ways. And so I, I think we see in the Old Testament, God invited his people up to the mountain to join him to become his nation of priests in Deuteronomy 19, and they said no. They said, Moses, you go and tell us what God said. We, we're too scared of him. So they refused the opportunity to fulfill God's will. And so he said, okay, then I will tell you. I'll give you laws. And the laws were blessings and curses. 
But in the new covenant, God said, I'm going to bring forth and visit my people and change your hearts and put my spirit in your heart. And it's going to be about love and grace. And that's the covenant we're under now. And Jesus was that, that trigger that was predicted in over 250 biblical verses that God was going to send a Messiah, a Savior to the earth, which would transition the time from blessings and curses and law to love and grace and forgiveness and Good. peace. So Mark and Mark, either one of you guys? Just want to add that I think um, Israel is uh, its a prototype. Israel is an example of a nation, but you can almost personify it. God often reduces Israel to a bride or, 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 or an individual. And the Old Testament is the story of the things that steal our heart from God. And everything that steals has the potential to steal our hearts from God is dangerous. And God in the Old Testament is saying to Israel, you need to deal radically with any false culture, any false religion, any competing nation that is enticing you away from God. In, in other words, he's saying, deal radically with temptation. And Jesus speaks that way when he says, if your eye is causing you to sin, tear it out. It's, hyper, it's, it's a hyperbole. He's not saying to tear your eye out. But what he is saying to us is, deal radically with anything in your life that competes with me for your affection and attention. And the way Israel was told to deal with their enemies was the way they were told to deal with the temptation that was presenting them with a counterfeit or false god attempting to draw their affection away from their Lord. And when you see it that way, the Lord expects us to deal similarly with sin in our own lives. Flee from it. Don't give it a place in your life. Anything that competes for your attention and affection and allegiance and loyalty, if it's in your life, tear it out. The radical nature from the Old Testament as to how you deal with sin into the New Testament with how you deal with sin has not changed. Be ruthless against those things which have the potential to steal your heart. Good. Um, so I'm going to move to the next question. Uh, but I, I want to I say to that real quick, one of the things I think, I know, Josh, I know your heart, that you believe in the goodness of God, period. So it's a good earthly view question. But from a, a God view, um, we can't hold God in contempt about whether we think he's good or not. The Bible says God is good, period. So whatever he does is good. And it's like a child to a parent when the child just does not understand and they fight against their parent. When the parent knows a whole lot more than the child simply because of our perspective over the decades we've lived. And then eventually they grow up and say, wow, you were right about that. I think we're going to understand how God's goodness played in some of the things we don't think are good when we see the full picture. Uh, yeah, Garrett. Javier, you're falling down on the job over here. You better hurry and get a live one. All right. Huh? All right. Okay. okay. All right. We're going to go to this side. But you stay right there. In your face. Here we go. Sorry. Don't touch the mic. Oh, sorry, buddy. So in, in Matthew, uh, there's a scripture that Jesus says, Jesus is talking, for as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the son of man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And um, uh, 
when Jesus was on the cross, he said to the thief next to him, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. So Les talked about this uh, last week, I think it was, um, paradise in heaven, the heaven where God is, and then paradise. And so I don't, I'm just a little confused on what is paradise, what is heaven. Jesus, did he, I guess, took the thief to paradise that day, um, but he was three days in the belly, in, in the heart of the earth, similar to Jonah. So I don't know, there's just some confusion. Heaven, and I know I would say that that's uh, Catholicism talks about purgatory, but I don't think this has anything to do with that. So, there you go. Uh, that's a good question, uh, Jerry. In the Old Testament, the the word was Sheol. That was where the souls of of people who longed for Jesus, you know, who who loved God, uh, resided, and it was thought to be in the earth. Abraham's blessing was where the good people went. Hades was where the bad people went. Uh, there are psalms that say that he did not leave Jesus in Hades, but resurrected him. And that's what we believe is that when Jesus died on the cross, he went into Hades. First Peter says that he preached the gospel to those saints from Noah's time that uh, were there. And then when he ascended, he took them, uh, he took the captives to heaven. That opened up heaven, which he called paradise. So that's where the spirits go now. If we die today, our spirit will immediately go to paradise. We will see Jesus face to face. We will be there with other people. That's the stories of the near-death experiences that we talked about. Your spirit goes into paradise. Now, the resurrection of your body and the judgment of believers and non-believers and then the descending of the new Jerusalem which is coming out of paradise to hover above the earth where we're going to go when our bodies are resurrected. That is the next step. So we could be in spiritual form in paradise, in heaven for a thousand more years until Jesus returns. When he returns, Paul gave us a great understanding in Thessalonians, First Thessalonians that Jesus will come and all those who have previously died, their bodies will be put together, resurrected whether they were dissolved in the sea, no matter how long they've been buried, they will be made into resurrected bodies and they will be taken to heaven for the judgment. Okay. And okay. then the believers will go up and meet the Lord in the sky. They will get their resurrected bodies. They will go to the Jesus Bema seat where he brings rewards to his believers. The non-believers will go to the white throne judgment of God. Many of those, most of those will probably end up in Hades. Does that answer your question, Jerry? Same day Jesus died or gave up his spirit is when he led the captives, right? You're saying he led the captives to Also, in other words, you're saying he's supposed to die and raise on the third day, and yet he said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Right. I think you were explaining right. that paradise was not heaven. Until he took the, he, he opened it basically with those who have been captive since the time of Noah. Yeah. You'll find that in First Peter, and you'll find it as a psalm of David that he was in Hades and releasing the captives. That's when heaven was opened up to man. Heaven was not a concept in the Old Testament. So, so, par so paradise, paradise was not a concept. Paradise in the Old is Testament. a location. Yes. It's, it's a holding Yes, it's that, it's that uh, we talked about a third heaven that Paul said he, he went up to third heaven and was before God and heard things men cannot utter. That's a realm. It's a heavenly realm, which is up, 
all of them refer to it as up, your spirit, when you die, will go immediately up and see Christ and all those who went before you in paradise. But you'll await to get your resurrected body until the final judgment time when Christ returns to the earth. And then God will create this new Jerusalem that John describes in Revelation 20, which will become our permanent residence in eternity in our resurrected bodies, living out the rest of time with God and Jesus. The three days, Jesus did a lot of stuff while his body was in the tomb. Right, and when Mary tried to hug him, he said what? He said, don't hug me now, I haven't ascended yet. So he was getting ready to go up uh, and take the captives free okay, and I'm put not, them in paradise. Okay, that's good. So if you need uh, further explanation, uh, Les will be available after service. We'll continue that conversation. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time for one more question. But, boy, we could do this for a long time, couldn't we? Okay. Um, something that weighs heavy on me a lot is Romans 13.1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. I think we can agree that's a difficult thing to grasp a hold of. Um, but my, and you can talk about that if you want to, but my question more so is as Christians and Christ followers, what's our role in this and, and how should we be responding, you know, as believers who believe that God has orchestrated a master plan here? I'll take a shot at that. Um, we are, Peter said that there's no authority over you, but what God has instituted and ordained. So we are to take our governing authorities for better or for worse as God's will. Um, and we are to show the quality of our lives by our ability to submit. But when the governing authorities legislate us to sin, to something which is clearly wrong and ungodly to do, we stand up and say no. And we oppose that government on that issue. At the time that was written, Nero was burning Christians at the stake and blaming them for burning Rome. So for them to get this, you must obey all authorities for all authorities have been set above you. It wasn't just spiritual authorities. their preachers and pastors. It was all authorities. So today, if we don't like the president, we, we don't go out with a sniper rifle and try to take him out. We pray for him. We pray for God to touch the president's heart and send good Christians around him that will give him godly counsel that God's will may be done through the president. And like Mark said, you know, we have examples in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, of people who were getting thrown in furnaces and other things that would not bow to the idols. So there will come a point where you feel like you're being forced into a sin that would cause you to deny your God. And that's where you have to draw the line. You can't let it interfere with your relationship with God. Um, Jesus' teaching on government was is it comes up in the in the con, in the context of paying taxes um, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's so the tax and the coin and the inscription that proclaimed that Caesar was Lord those things belong to Caesar's but render to God the things that are God's um, lordship belongs to God you can give Caesar the coin but don't give him lordship um, in the book of Acts, the apostles were forbidden to preach in the name of Jesus. And they, they said, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey you, those in government, or God. But um, 
go uh, government and laws are a gift from God. Well, a lot of times we view them as, as bad or oppressive or something. They're a gift from God. God instituted governments among people that allow, that allow us to live peaceful lives, orderly lives. Um, we can live uh, in a fair society where you are not automatically oppressed just because you're weak. Um, laws and governments allow that to happen, and the, and the idea of law and the idea of government is God's idea. Um, uh, okay. Yeah. So, Maybe not. Yeah. Um, I want I want to I want to cap our day, but I'm going to um, add something to that. I think submission to authority is probably the hardest command in all of Scripture, and it's because it strikes our rebellion honestly it strikes our sense of independence and it's what happened in the garden of eden when uh the enemy got adam and eve to reject god's authority and so that spirit of rebellion is sown into us nobody's going to tell me what to do so it happens in with your parenting it happens when you're on a sports team with your coach you don't like the boss you don't like the president you don't like i mean it's across the board we run into authority and when we touch authority we touch god so what I believe, and I believe the Bible is very explicit with this, is um, our response to authority, and it's really our response to authority reveals our character. It's the, it's the best litmus test for character I know of because it's about pride and humility. Your, your humility isn't tested until you have to submit to the authority of someone you don't agree with. It's easy to get along with your boss if they're doing, running the company the way you would run it. Or if the teacher is running the classroom the way you would run it. Or the coach is running the team the way you would run it. But as soon as they are doing it differently and you don't like it, that is the litmus test of our character. Because the cornerstone of character is humility and submitting to them because they are in charge. Second test is with whether we really believe God is in charge or not. It really comes down to our belief in God's sovereignty. Did God pick the presidents that we have right now? Did he pick the one that we had before this one? And our response to these things, we might have a visceral response at first, but underneath our human emotions, what's really going on in our faith system inside of us? Do we really believe that God is in control of nations and kings? And so the test of character and the test of our faith both rise whenever we touch authority. Um, so, that's a big one. Which brings us to um, our submission to God when he says that his son is the only way. And some of you here today may have not come to believe that, that Jesus is the only way, that he's the son of God. But I, I want to say that Jesus doesn't like being put in the mix. He doesn't like being coupled with all the other spiritual leaders who have come before or after him, Jesus very clearly said, I am the way, not a way, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it's submitting to his authority as the Son of God that sets you free. It's the only way your sins will be completely forgiven forever. It's the only entrance into heaven. And it's when you and I bow our knee to his authority as the Lord of lords and the kingdom of kings, that our sins are forgiven and we have salvation granted to us by God's grace. And so if you've never come to Christ before as Lord and Savior, as the scripture says, then I'm going to stand down front. 
after I close this in a moment. And I just want to meet with you, love to answer any more of your questions, and hopefully pray with you to give your life to Jesus. And you will experience a peace in your soul that you will have never experienced before because only Jesus can give that peace. And I would love for you to experience that. So would you go like to do this again sometime? Is this a good format? You like this? All right. So, um, all right, I'm going to call the prayer teams down. We like to pray for the sick here. If you have a headache or a neck ache or back ache or someone that's a pain in the neck that's in your life you want prayer for, don't point to your wife. That was horrible. Um, Jesus can heal anything. He can deliver anybody. He can save any soul. And so our prayer team is going to be down here ready to believe God with you for a miracle. Um, Let's just all stand. And uh, I just want to pray a prayer blessing over you. Now, look, next Sunday, I want to say two things real quick. One, myself and Stephanie and Jeanette uh, and Melissa and Chris and Rachel, we're going to head to India in two weeks. And Bella, my daughter Bella, are you going to come too? My daughter's going to come. We're going to go to India, and we're going to go to an unreached people group. They're below the caste system to where they're untouchables. Even Christians won't go talk to these people. They live in the jungles, never seen a white person before in their life or somebody outside of who they are. We're going to go preach Jesus to them, and a whole bunch of them are going to get saved. But we really need your prayers. So there's prayer calendars on the resource table on your way out. Grab a prayer calendar. We can't put it online because uh, we can't let the authorities in India know that we're coming and what we're doing there. So, But please cover us in prayer, and let's believe for supernatural things. And then next week, we start a brand-new teaching series for the summer months on the book of Romans. We're going to go right chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. So if you're on vacation or wherever you are, you can just stay on on track with us. We're going to study the book of Romans together to deepen our faith. You can also catch our sermons online by audio or video. And uh, it's going to be an awesome summer as we study the book of Romans. God, thank you for how good you are. Like Josh was talking about your goodness. You are better to us than we deserve. And we thank you for being so gracious and so kind and so merciful and so faithful and patient and long-suffering. May we be that way to one another. And Lord, may we be the voice and the light and the life of Jesus to every person we come in contact with this week. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name. If you're a visitor, please fill out your visitor card. Drop it off at the Resource Center. Get a free book. I'd also love to meet you if you come down.